0: Welcome to All Things Pilates, season four. Though we can't know exactly what Joseph Pilates was thinking or feeling towards the end of his life, we do know he wanted the entire world to practice contrology, and that want has certainly become a reality. Hello everyone, I'm Darian Gold, and here on All Things Pilates, we discuss the man, the method, and how his genius continues to influence and inspire. Our guest today is Nancy Chin, owner of Pilates Avenue Los Gatos in the city of Los Gatos, California. She is a graduate of the vintage Pilates program called The Work. Last summer, Nancy had a life-changing experience that impacted her own Pilates practice and gave her an entirely new understanding of the body, especially the pelvic region. After many years of dealing with an extremely painful hip, Nancy decided to have her hip replaced. I'm not sure if there are statistics that show the number of Pilates instructors who have hip replacements, but I thought Nancy would be the perfect person to take us through the surgery, the post-surgical phase, and if the Pilates method had assisted her in recovering her balance, strength, and mobility. Hello, Nancy, thank you for being on the show. Hi, Darian, thanks for having me. Nancy, how and when were you introduced to Pilates?
1: I learned about Pilates in 2001 when I was pregnant with my second kid, oh, sorry, it was 2000. And I was really impressed with the smart way to move. And, you know, I was just looking to rebuild core strength, but the more I learned about it, the more sense it made to connect everything to your center and move from there and been practicing ever since. 2000
0: to 2022, so 22 years. Yes. That's a long time, Nancy. It sure is. You were certified through the Vintage Pilates certification program. What was it about this program? And did you research other programs beforehand? Yes. So the
1: Vintage Pilates program is a post-certification program. So meaning all the teachers that take the program are already certified. So I had wanted to take... Uh, Ramana's training ever since I learned about Pilates, but it was just not practical uh being in New York back then and with three small kids. And I learned about the vintage Pilates program and really liked it because I wanted to get as close to the source as possible. And Jay had l- worked with Joseph Pilates himself, so I knew I was getting the real deal. Jay Grimes, you're speaking about. Jay Grimes, that's right. And... You know, it was very practical as far as it was, it offered me the working with an elder. It was in Los Angeles, so it was much closer to home. And on top of that, it gave me the opportunity to work with some excellent teachers at Vintage Pilates.
0: And then at what point did you open your studio and why did you?
1: I opened it purely for practical reasons. Because I wanted to teach classical Pilates on Graz equipment, and that really limited my options. And while I was searching for the perfect place, I thought, instead of searching, why don't I just create this place? And so all I, I got one of everything Graz, I found myself a beautiful small space that was close to home. so it it I checked off all the boxes and and it's been working great for me. What year was this? 2013. So this is, what is this? Yeah. So this is my, uh, we'll be celebrating nine years
0: next month. Yeah. Are you in the same space or did you move to a larger space?
1: No, I'm in the same space, which turned out to be, honestly, a blessing during the pandemic because I didn't have this giant overhead to worry about. And... People wanted a small space where they wouldn't be around lots of other people. And I also just, uh, my philosophy is not to live beyond my means. So I liked the small space and yes, have been there since I opened.
0: And do you plan on staying there indefinitely?
1: I do. Yes. I really, I really loved the space for a long time. I actually wanted a larger space until I realized I don't need a larger
0: space. I get that. I think I feel the same way. That's right. Nancy, as I describe in the opening, you underwent a hip replacement. When did your hip problems begin? I was thinking about that. There must have been
1: about 2002 when I was pregnant with my third. And so I wondered if it had anything to do with carrying the extra load. But it turned out, it actually had been misdiagnosed for years where it was initially uh, thought to be a strain of the iliopsoas, and then it was diagnosed as tightness of the IT band. And you know, and I knew back then that, that it had to be something more than that because the extreme tightness in the hip joint was not normal. And it turned out to be a vascular necrosis, which is a blood supply not getting to the bone or not enough blood supply. So essentially the my femur head was falling apart because it was not getting enough blood supply. Is that her- hereditary? They say it is not. But interestingly, my sister just got diagnosed with that l- last month. And the only other correlation they have. OK, they say it's not genetic, but it, they've only found correlation with steroid use or heroin use. Uh, <laughs> neither yeah, neither of which I, I used. So I am inclined to think that it has to be something somewhat genetic, you know, whether it be, maybe it's not a direct relation, but the, the architecture of the hip joint can, you know, lend itself to creating some problems like that. So that's how I think it started.
0: Growing up with your sister, did you notice, or do you recall if her hips were just naturally tight?
1: No, actually, and well, me, well I'd say all of us are built tight. But we never noticed that per se. And I do remember, though, my mom still to this day has a little bit of uh, hip tightness, um, kind of almost sciatica. But she's 90 and she's never had to do anything about it. So, yeah, I can't say that I ever noticed anything more beyond that.
0: How did you prepare for your hip surgery? Well,
1: honestly, and without, I know I'm biased, but I did so much Pilates. but. I thought all the advanced work, the super challenging was what I needed when in actuality, it was not. Right. And I know, you know, and I know many others out there will know it was back to the foundational work. And I had the privilege to work with Sanjay Mayo, who is also a physical therapist. So she had this great perspective that I wanted and needed and she, you know, I had to check my ego at the door. She had me doing basic stuff that actually was so challenging. And I really felt it in my body. And that's what really changed my my whole view of Pilates was that all that fancy stuff, nothing unless you've got that pre-Pilates foundational work. Yes. And so I did yes. a lot of that. Yes. I did a lot of that. And it totally helped me with things like simple things like rolling over in bed, or getting out of bed, it was so helpful.
0: That's did have you written about this? I haven't yet. And I mean to that would be really besides this podcast, I think that'd be so helpful. Really?
1: Oh, thanks. I I will.
0: Now did you stay in a rehab center? Or were you able to come home right away? And then if so, was someone there to help you?
1: I stayed overnight, which was totally, somewhat optional. I say that because the doctor had told me in advance that I could probably go home the same day. But I never really wanted that because it just gave me peace of mind to stay overnight at the hospital, knowing that if I needed any medical help, it would be right there. And in retrospect, I'm really glad that I did. Now, I think that people feasibly could do that on their own, but it was very helpful to have somebody at home. Now I say that because I think hospitals routinely give stool softener to patients who have had surgery to prevent constipation, which I guess is a very common thing after surgery. Well, it was almost like a cruel joke though, because I had to get up so many times to use the toilet and Meanwhile, you know, you could barely move. There's your rehab. <laughs> exactly, exactly that. I did think of that, you know, and I used a walker at the beginning, but getting myself up and positioning that walker, I totally had to use my, everything I strengthened in pre-Pilates. But it was just, you know, and I didn't, I didn't feel like I needed the prescription strength painkillers, but the, the drawback from that was if I moved wrong, there would be intense pain. And so it helped- It helped to have somebody there, if nothing else, for moral support.
0: Definitely. Now, the hip at this point, can it go in all the different ranges of motion, slight? Do they encourage you to flex and extend and abduct and adduct?
1: They do. It's funny, though, because there are some contraindications that are different depending on your surgeon and depending on the approach they took. So I had what's called the anterior approach. So the scar incision is in front, just a little lateral of my hip joint. So for that kind, I was told not to hyperextend my hip, which we do, you know, like the sideline leg kicks. We do do that. And they don't want me to externally rotate when I do that. So I have to be careful not to do that. You wouldn't think that you would need to be so careful of that in every day, but that leg is so used to being turned out because of the movement restrictions previously, that all it takes is for me to take a step forward with the other leg. And so that leg's behind me. And if it's turned out, I'm supposedly not supposed to do that. Now, I say supposedly only because I know people who have had the same anterior approach, but were never told not to do that. So I'm not sure I'll talk to my doctor at my one year visit next month and see, but maybe they have different contraindications depending on the body, you know, and then people who have the posterior approach, which was the more common approach previously are not supposed to flex more than 90 and not to do that, especially with internal rotation. So there's the exact opposite, but I'm finding it doesn't come into play much except for just keeping in mind to keep my feet, my my legs more parallel.
0: That's what I was going to ask you. Is it just the safest position is to just constantly be parallel?
1: Exactly. Exactly, which we're trying to in the first place. So if if you just kind of keep that common sense in mind, you know, with just that barely, what is it, 10 degrees turnout,
0: then I'm okay. At what point did you return to your own practice and then also teaching your students, how long did that take?
1: I took my time and I would encourage people to take their time. For whatever reason, I think there is this perception that hips are easy, knees are not. Okay, And, and maybe comparatively that's true, but there's no reason for hip replacement people to rush back out. So. This was, you know, last year was still somewhat pandemic environment. So I took advantage of that. I, I took my time and I did not start teaching online again for a few weeks and in person, not for maybe even, I think, a couple months. I had stairs at the I have steep stairs at the studio. So that was a factor. And I wanted to make sure that I was completely comfortable doing that so that and going especially actually it was going downstairs. But people feel like they need to rush and pretend like there's or not. I shouldn't say pretend, but act like they didn't miss a beat. But I think it's OK to give yourself time to heal and let your body adjust to this new joint, which is a big deal, especially the hip joint, which I know, you know, is totally pivotal to every single movement of the body.
0: Did you know that beforehand?
1: You know, I did only because my hip was so compromised and I could see how it made me limp. I could see how it made my back tight. I could see how it was starting to mess with my knee. So, you know, all those things, yes. And my replacement only confirmed
0: it because now I, you know, everything is so much easier. Mm. So my question, uh, what has been the most challenging part of living with an artificial hip? Maybe there is no challenge now.
1: You know, you're exactly right. The challenge is almost remembering that I have an artificial hip and I'd say the only thing I could think of that is challenging is lying on my side to sleep because, and I never understood this before. And and this is something that I now understand with anybody who has joint replacement, it just feels different. And I used to think like with knee replacement people, they didn't want to kneel. They didn't want to be on it. And I would ask, does it hurt? And they said, no, it doesn't hurt but I can see now, it feels funny. You just don't want to feel that. So I've adjusted, I sleep more on my back, which I wanted to anyway, but I've actually now able to sleep on my side.
0: So the doctor or maybe even Sonjay, did they recommend that you just don't lie on that hip? Maybe ever? Did they give you that kind of direction or?
1: they actually say that you can. So it's just the feeling it's just how you feel about that odd feeling of knowing that there's something artificial in your
0: body that's interesting yeah you, you can tell that it feels artificial you can yeah. tell that right and so you know
1: if you if you can get past that um and you know and i don't find that it makes much difference otherwise except for when i put weight on it you know and there's some pilates exercises where you're on your side and I can feel it, and I can do the exercises. I don't necessarily want to be in that position, though, just because it feels funny.
0: When you're working with clients, have you had to change your body position when you're spotting them? Or no, in fact, I, I would,
1: I would say that I actually can spot better, you know, because before I wasn't able to uh, flex my my hip. For instance, um, like on the electric chair, when, you know, when we have our foot on the pedal for safety, it was always hard for me to spot with that foot on because it kept my hip in a flexed position. So that's much easier now. But I'd say, you know, luckily it has actually helped me because I understand better now why people, for instance, the knee replacement, people don't want to be on their knees. And, And before I used to think, well, if it doesn't hurt, let's just do it. But now I don't push it.
0: (laughs) You have so much more wisdom now. Exactly. Do you offer a program designed specifically for those who have had hip replacements? Not specifically
1: for hip replacements, although I do apply what I've learned. I would say now with everybody, whether it be hip hip replacement people, advanced beginners, everybody, I do pre-Pilates foundational work with them for every session. Because I, I just think that that is so important to get that, for them to tune into that and get those muscles working before we proceed to other things. But I've, I think for any replacement, or not even a replacement, but anybody who is uneven, we just want to make sure that we give that side a little extra attention. Because even for me, with my new hip, I catch myself still favoring my other leg. And so I have to actually focus, completely focus to make sure that that left side is doing its job because it will still, because it's so used to it for uh, 19 years, it was so used to letting the other side take over that I have to consciously make it work.
0: Maybe there is a chart that you could come up with for yourself and for others in terms of that reminder, Mm. because we, we do have those patterns that are so embedded in us. Right. Right. Maybe there's something, some visual, something mm. that you could create. Well, you got lots of good ideas, Darian. <laughs> I know I do. Now, because you have this new and improved and let's not even call it artificial. It's just a new hip with a new life attached to it. Is there anything that you didn't know that you know now about the hips or the pelvis? Anything that maybe you weren't so tuned into even in your own practice. And when you are working with a student, has your eye changed? Has your observational abilities changed because of your sensitivity towards the pelvic area? Yes,
1: I would say that it's a constant, it's a constant practice that Yes, I feel like my I, I now am able to kind of focus in on more what I would expect, but at the same time, I say that with with a caveat that these compensations can be so complicated, and it'll the body will compensate one way when we're doing this, but then another way when we're doing that, and I think before I may have thought that it was
0: simpler, and it's not. I mean, I can I can imagine it does get complicated because if we're just talking about the Pilates technique, it is very complex. And the foundational exercises that you're referencing, and all of us practice all the time. Even those can be really complicated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Before you get to the fancy exercises that have no value if you don't have it deep in your body.
1: Yes, right. Exactly, exactly. And right. And yeah, without, yeah, without that foundation, you're really not accomplishing much of anything else by adding on all the, all the extras of the so-called advanced work. But just one more thing, as far as what I see is, I guess I'm trying to tell myself to Or maybe I've learned to let go more of expectations and trust what I see and know and understand that everything, everybody is so completely different that you just kind of have to wait and see how it is that day.
0: Okay. Every day we're different. It's true, right? That's why the foundational exercises help you understand how you are for that day.
1: Right, right.
0: Nancy, do you happen to know how long hip replacements last?
1: I think they told me 15 to 20 years, which anybody who is considering a hip replacement, I'm sure has thought about the length of the life of the joint. And I would say in retrospect now that you just can't put that in necessarily as part of the equation because you know you just never know. you people can wear it out more quickly, others it can last longer and then you know you just don't really know what your lifestyle is going to be either. so i would say don't don't necessarily make that a big factor.
0: well when you're practicing on your own and you're doing exercises that you did pre surgery i'm assuming that everything feels more natural or more balanced right yes
1: it does it does but i still see the weakness the weaknesses that existed were there beforehand right are still there they're just less so but that's why i would encourage anybody who has a hip replacement to go to physical therapy, even those, again, like I mentioned before, there seems to be this conception of, you know, you just get right back out there and you're fine. I think, you know, especially being a Pilates teacher it's so great to have somebody watch you move and help you with that. We can't really do that well on ourselves, no matter how much expertise you have, you just need somebody who has a trained eye and, Pilates teachers are not physical therapists. And so I really learned a lot from physical therapy that I can apply to my Pilates practice and my Pilates teachings. And even though I was technically discharged from physical therapy, uh, I, I don't remember what month, maybe after three months, I, I have opted to continue and go smart. every other, I go twice a month when I can just to check in. And it's great because, you know, he, checks my gait and just checks the joint and i feel like i benefit from every visit and then i practice it on my own
0: can you give an example of what you learned from your pt that now you understand in your body that you've brought into your studio
1: well you know i think that one of the main things i've learned from physical therapy is that you are not often inspired, we are not often inspired to focus on one body part, even though you know you need it. You want to just get on with your workout. You want to complete the, and feel like you've done everything. So take advantage of the fact that after your surgery, you may feel more motivated to give that joint a little more attention. And that's what it needs. Because I had a, a previous hip surgery that was actually to try to head off a replacement. And they told me back then, again, you don't need physical therapy. You know, they said that my fitness level was great and I didn't need it. All that time, I felt like that's, that hip still was weaker than the other one. And I actually went back five years after that surgery to do physical therapy. And I needed it for my own discipline, too, to, have, to report to a physical therapy appointment and know that we were going to work on this specific body part. And so... I think that that's what I learned from physical therapy is you have to, of course, keep the big picture in mind, but it's okay. you you need to give it a little extra attention right now. And it takes a long time to get it even with the other side.
0: I do remember when I would be working with Ramana, she many times would say that if we were doing, let's say, going up front on the electric chair, that you always wanna do more on the weaker side. She didn't go into any kind of detail, but just obviously one side is weaker and needs a little more love and you give it. It didn't go any deeper than that, other than just making you very aware and giving yourself permission to do more on the side that needs it. Exactly,
1: exactly. But it's interesting that you say, give, more, give yourself permission because Funny, yeah, that, that it comes into play and um, you also have to give yourself permission to spend, spend that extra time on it.
0: Nancy, I, we've talked about this. I think we've talked about what I'm going to ask you years ago when you were on my radio show and just pre-interview, et cetera. But in my opinion, and I know you agree with me, that it's very important, especially now that we help elevate and encourage our students to be the best version of themselves. What are your thoughts about this?
1: That's exactly right. You know, and that's no small part of our job, not only as teachers but as as just human beings. I think that we start we encourage that by being the best version of ourselves so that we set a good example for others, but then you have to think about what, how you can be that better version of yourself. We need to find our motivation from within and see that what others are doing is really not that relevant to what you're doing. There's enough success for everybody for to everybody to be successful and we should celebrate each other's successes.
0: Oh my gosh. Can you just say that again?
1: Right. We we need to know that we are not competing with each other. We mm-hmm. are competing with ourselves. Now I shouldn't even say competing. We are just trying to be, like you said, the, a better version of ourselves, which takes other people out of the equation. So it's really not relevant. So we need to be able to celebrate each other because that doesn't mean that that's less for us. Somebody else's success doesn't mean that you will be less successful. But I think though, with today's society and social media, it is harder to do that. It is easier to find the competition. And so then you have to start doing things to take care of yourself, to put yourself in in positive environments, maybe reduce your social media time, find some quiet time where you actually can see that all that stuff just doesn't matter and that we're just all all working together to make ourselves better and that's going to just create a better common good as well so i know we we agree on this and i think it's a really important point
0: it can't be stressed enough because just like you're saying especially in the current times social media can be so emotionally Charging. Right. And maybe it's better to step back and go within, like you were saying, and find what is best for you. We have at our disposal such an amazing method that can get us there to quiet us, to help quiet Mm -hmm. us down Mm -hmm. so that we can not necessarily compete with ourselves, as you were saying, but that we can keep stretching. What is our limit? And then pull back if we go too far. I know this from having COVID, thank you very much. But then you go Mm -hmm. a little bit more and then you stay at that place. And then before you know it, more confidence is developed in you.
1: Right, right. And it's just a constant practice to continue to grow.
0: I love it. Nancy, if anyone wants to take a class from you You're teaching at your studio and you also teach online. Correct. What are your addresses?
1: Oh, so let's see. My website address is www... Is there a dot there? Yes. I guess it's Pilates Avenue, all spelled out, no spaces, dot com. And you can reach me there for
0: online or in-person appointments. Do you subscribe to any social media?
1: You know, I have not been on on for months. And recently I I went on and I hate to say it, but I post and run and I don't look at much else, um, which sounds a little selfish, but it's, it's a little kind of self-preservation as well. And so, yeah, I have a studio page on Facebook, which I should, that I should update, but I haven't updated that either because it's sometimes just easier to stay off altogether.
0: I understand completely. So you have maybe a little homework on that and you also have a chance and people are maybe going to embrace you to create some kind of chart, a reminder chart or something that can help people, maybe not even with hip replacements, all replacements, mm. to check in. Okay,
1: love all your ideas, Darian.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for your time today, Nancy. It's so great seeing you again. Thank you, Darian. All Things Pilates is produced, edited, and hosted by me, Darian Gold. Mastered audio mix by Fabian Romero. Theme music, soul, blues, piano, shuffle by Boom Zoom. One way to demonstrate your commitment to living a healthy lifestyle is to maintain your body properly. It needs to be respected at all times. Creating a routine for yourself that includes breath work, Core work and nutritional foods all may help slow down the aging process. As always, I remain in awe of Joe's work and I look forward to being with you in a couple of weeks for another episode of All Things Pilates.